Well, praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible class in the book of Revelation. Last time, we talked in the first eight verses of the 17th chapter of Revelation. We talked about Mystery Babylon. We talked about the woman riding the beast, the great whore. Babylon, the mother of all harlots. In other words, Every single false religion, every single false doctrine, every single twisted perception of God, all of it had its origination fomented by the spirit of Babylon. And we dealt a little bit last week about demon spirits and some of the proliferation of their activities in the last days. Now I'm going to kind of leave that there today as we read verses 8 through 18 and we want to look at the beast which carries her or the beast in, on which she rides uh, in the book of Revelation. Some of this material we have brought out before uh, in chapter 13 and other places of our study. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of brevity here today with how we present this material. Also, I want to make you uh, to understand that I am sticking for this particular class, I'm sticking with a traditional interpretation of the book of Revelation. Now there are, as we've discussed before, many, many myriads of possible scenarios that could unfold in Bible prophecy. And so, I guess the first thing I would say is that I don't claim to have all the answers of how things are going to come to pass and how things are going to work themselves out uh, in our visible world. There's a tremendous spiritual battle going on over these very events in the heavenlies right now as Satan knows that his time is short. And you must remember about Satan that he is a master manipulator. He is a master deceiver. And I'm sticking with the traditional interpretation of this book for this particular class. Now in programming in the future we may take a look at some of the different possible scenarios that could you know not only ignite these issues into their fulfillments but also how they will develop as it goes along. There's so much of that out there. It's very interesting. And for the purposes of our study, because we need to get this done in 2020. And we need to move on to the next thing that God has laid on my heart. So I'm sticking with a traditional viewpoint. Um, that having been said, and said repeatedly, let's proceed with today's Book of Revelation, chapter 17, beginning at the 8th verse. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, there's a myriad of different interpretations of that. Here's the one I'm going to go with, and this is the one that makes the most plain sense from the text. Remember we told you that Mystery Babylon, which is mystery religions, the occult, New Age, etc. and so forth, you know, everything from seances to tarot card readings to blood worship of devils, all of this stuff, which had its origination fostered by the spirit of Babylon, um, is riding this beast, okay? And the seven heads are seven mountains. This refers primarily to those seven empires of the past that we named in, uh, in, I believe it was Revelation 13, and we talked about it from Daniel's visions as well. Seven empires of the past, okay? And, there, and on which the woman sitteth, meaning 
that this spirit of false religion, this spirit of demonic veneration, has had its place in every single empire of the world since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Think of that. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get touch on this. We'll go into it a little more later. Five are fallen. Those are five empires of the past that are fallen at the time John was given this revelation. Okay? So now we're not looking futuristically in the terminology. Five are fallen refers to the Lord is standing there revealing this to John the Revelator and he says, John, this represents seven kingdoms. Five are fallen at your time on the earth. Okay? So that was back in John's time. And one is. One is. So what empire of the world, the world prophetic empires, was ruling when John was receiving this revelation on the Isle of Patmos, possibly about 95 A.D.? What empire was ruling? The Roman Empire. So that's the one that is. Five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And that one is referring to the one world government that will come to power in the last days, the end times that we're living in right now, there will come a one world government and there, it will have ten nations and, or ten geographic regions of the world. Let's say that and include that in there because that's a real possibility that they might not be actual individual ten nations but it might be ten geographically located conglomeration of nations. Okay? And out of that seventh kingdom comes an eighth kingdom. And we're going to read about it. And that eighth kingdom is the kingdom of the Antichrist. Okay? So that's very brief, but there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So basically, this one world government could start before the rapture, could very possibly begin before the rapture, and it will only continue until about midway through the great tribulation period, and then the Antichrist puts his iron fist down, and he begins to demand worship. He demands the mark of the beast and all of these things midway through the Great Tribulation period. And so this one world government empire that is not yet from John's time, this empire will be conquered by the Antichrist. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. There it says it. Now the beast that was and is not referring to the Antichrist. Here's what it's saying. And there's a lot, there's a lot of breakdown in word studies with different layers and depths of meanings. So this, this is talking about the Antichrist that is yet to come. That's one level of meaning. We can understand it as such. Also, it's referring to the fact that the spirit of Antichrist was what was active all the way back to the Garden of Eden that caused the fall of man. And the spirit of Antichrist has been present in every single world prophetic kingdom in all of human history. The spirit of Antichrist. Now there is a man who is not yet, but is coming, a man, the Antichrist. So here we see, just very simply, um, the beast that was. In other words, in spirit, he's been present since the garden, all through the prophetic empires of the world, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven. So in other words, somewhere in that one world government, where the Antichrist is ruling, 
or where, they, where the, the one world government in one of those ten geographic locations or in one of those nations, the Antichrist will emerge as a ruler. And he will begin to speak, the Bible says, great swelling things, swelling words, lofty ideas, literally mesmerizing the people in that hour. And he will ultimately overthrow three of the geographic regions or the nations of the ten. And ultimately, the rest of the ten geographic location empires will throw in their weight with the beast, or with the Antichrist. And that's a synopsis of what we're going to talk about as we go along here uh, today. He is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. His doom is sealed. Jesus Christ defeats the Antichrist at the battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. Now I want you to notice there, it doesn't say ten kingdoms. It says ten kings. So that brings it more back into the realm more of possibility of geographic locations for that one world government which have received no kingdom as yet in other words at the time that John the Revelator was receiving this vision this stuff hasn't happened yet in that time 95 AD <clears throat> but received power as kings one hour with the beast these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb <laughs> shall overcome them. Praise the Lord for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Hallelujah to God. You know that's not only for those who... Well, it, it, listen to the parallel in this. Now listen to this. Those that are with Him. With Him where? Well, textually, it would have to say when He comes back at the second coming, now not the rapture, that's already passed. When Jesus returns at the second coming, those of us that are with Him, those of us who have served the Lord, those of us who are dead to self and alive unto God in Jesus Christ, Hallelujah. Look at what it says about us. Ooh, glory. And this holds true not only for when we come back with Him to rule and reign, but also in our lives we are called. We have been chosen, praise God. And we are faithful, not through any power of our own. We're not faithful because we have great strength and bravado. We are faithful because the Holy Spirit resides within us. And if, as we learn to die to self, hallelujah, and live for Jesus and the benefit of others, hallelujah, live for kingdom, as we learn these things through our, our lives, our callings are manifested, hallelujah, because we've been chosen by God to partake of Jesus, hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit the very one who has the power to seal the Christian, the very one who has the power in choosing and adopting the Christian, the very one who has the power in filling the Christian with himself, Acts chapter 2 verse 4, the very Holy Spirit of God that saves us will also keep us. Hallelujah. We're sealed with a seal of God's protection. We are sealed with a seal of God's perseverance. And we will learn to become faithful. Hallelujah. It's called progressive sanctification. Hallelujah. And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. 
For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now I'm going to stop right there and I am going to throw in a possible scenario here. Alright, so let's try to see how I want to say it. The great whore, of course, Mystery Babylon, false religion, exists, has since time immemorial, and through Satan's strategies, the desire and the efforts of Mystery Babylon has always been to cause human beings to worship something other than Jehovah God through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The efforts of Mystery Babylon has always been to cause mankind to worship something other than the real, the true, and the living God through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way we can get to heaven, folks, is through Jesus Christ. So that's always been the effort. And in the last days, you can see this now in the, the technological advancements, uh, bioengineering, genetics, robotics, all of these type of uh, personal interfacing with the internet, different things like this that's taking place. You can see the ultimate goal that Satan is on the track with right now is to convince man that he can be his own God. Uh, I'm not going to go into great details here. We may do some programs about some of these biogenetic engineering type things. But one thing that's, they're, they're working on this. Now, this would have been considered sci-fi when I was a kid. It was Dreamworld. It was the Jetsons. I mean, but they're actually talking about artificial intelligence, AI, that they will load up onto a computer-modeled robot with your thoughts your preferences they will base this upon your spending habits that they track through your credit cards they will base it from your Facebook accounts and your Twitters and all of these things and they will promise you that after your physical body which is old and it's getting uglier by the minute come on folks I mean it's the truth and it's getting weak and sometimes it gets riddled with disease but they're going to promise you they can upload all this collective information about you into a robotic, trans-humanoid type being. I mean, this stuff is clearly out of George Orwell and beyond into sci-fi, man. But this is actually being prepared as we speak. And that you will live on after your death through this transhuman species of beings, and they're not really beings, they are demonic. And somebody would say, well, I don't see how that could be possible. Well, how do you think the Antichrist is going to make a statue and cause it to speak? Transhumanism is one of the greatest dangers we will be facing in the very near future with its minor capabilities even available at this present moment. Okay, I'm going to leave that right there for right now. But our text says that the Antichrist will actually hate. Now, now look, at, look at this for a second. I want to show you how the kingdom of darkness operates. Satan hates God. And Satan hates Jesus Christ, that he is God. Satan hates everything that's holy, everything that's righteous, everything that's pure, everything that's good, that comes from God. Satan hates it. Satan hates God's people. He hates Christians. He hates you and I. He hates the Jews. He hates God's people. And so he fostered this thing that has progressed until in 2020 now we are talking about we can be our own gods through all these scientific things and all this demonic activity. And Satan's demon spirits and cohorts of hell have been promoting that lie. That's one strategy. But here the Antichrist also will be possessed 
of Satan. And so Satan's kingdom will begin to fight against itself. Well, you talk about doomed from the beginning. Satan's kingdom will begin to fight against itself. And we will see the implosion of Mystery Babylon in the middle of the tribulation, the middle of the week. Because the Antichrist wants to be worshipped. And listen folks, Satan doesn't want you to be a god. He's deceiving you. He's promoting that lie because he knows it will take your focus off Jesus Christ. But he doesn't want you to be God. He wants to be God. He wants your worship. That will be mirrored in the Antichrist. As he wants to be God and he wants the people's worship. And so the kingdom of darkness literally and it always has from the very beginning, fights against itself in different strategies of Satan. There's, where Satan is, is mass confusion. Where Satan is, is mass chaos. Jesus is peace. Hallelujah. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. I'm going to leave that for a little bit later. Now the word translated beast in the Greek here is Therion. It's used 37 times in the book of Revelation in connection with this symbol. The word Therion pictures a wild, untamed, dangerous animal. And it symbolizes the powers that will come against Christ in the latter days seeking to destroy Him. The vision that is given here is not primarily for the purpose of revealing history. It serves to identify the eighth and last kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist. The seven kingdoms that precede it will be identified, and this last one will reign over all the territories and all the peoples of the first seven. And we've already briefly touched on that uh, in a kind of an outline form. It must be noted here that the beast symbolizes three different things. Now remember, keep this in your mind, different levels of meanings to these symbols. The first is a human being, the Antichrist, and the beast that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13. It's clear that this beast comes out of the sea of humanity. And that he is the same beast referred to in Revelation 13 that receives power from the dragon. He's mentioned in Revelation 13.4, also verse 8, verses 16 through 18. He's mentioned in Revelation 14, 9 through 11, in Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4, and in Revelation 20, verse 4. He receives power from the dragon and that the Antichrist, that's what it symbolizes, will be worshipped. He will speak blasphemy. He will blaspheme God. He will blaspheme God's name. He will blaspheme God's tabernacle. And he will blaspheme those who dwell in heaven. Revelation 13 verses 5 and 6. This beast, the Antichrist, will have power for 42 months. So now, that's in Revelation 13, 5. Okay, so let's, let's just pause for a moment and say, Brother Paxton, I thought the Great Tribulation was seven years, which would be 84 month, uh, 64 months. I'm sorry, I was right the first time. 84 months. 84 months. Well, it is. The, 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 the tribulation period is seven years. It's Daniel's 70th week. And the first three and a half of those years, the Antichrist will be coming to power. And in that coming to power, it, will, it caused the great unleashing of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we talked about in Revelation chapter 6. And it causes tremendous things upon planet earth. Wars, pestilence, famine, epidemics, disease out of control, food shortages. All of these things will be a result of the Antichrist coming to power. And also to top that off, judgments of God begin to be executed on planet earth. Now those judgments 
intensify at the midway point of the tribulation. And for the last 42 months of the tribulation, the Antichrist has totally conquered his opposition. And we talked about this a little bit in the last program. There may be some few, and I'm, I'm certain that there will be some rogue groups who will not support the beast. Uh, I'm certain of it. There will be people who will be hiding in the dens and the caves. There will be bands of, of marauders who will go forth seizing whatever they can find to survive in that time frame. They will hate the beast and they will fight against the beast. Many of them will be killed. And we'll have to leave that there because we don't exactly know from Scripture how those days are going to play out. But it's at the midway point that the Antichrist comes into absolute power and he rules for the next 42 months and he is defeated by Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. And we're going to talk about that in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. There are other places in the Bible where all of these events are recorded. We've tried to share some of those references with you throughout. And um, we pray that you will study the Word of God on these subjects. The Antichrist makes war on the saints. He killed many of them. He will have power over the ten kingdoms and all of their people. This beast, the Antichrist, will have a co-worker and a religious leader called the false prophet. This false prophet will exercise great power and be influential in causing men to worship the beast, to worship the Antichrist. And it's talked about all through the book of Revelation. Miracles will be wrought, an image will be made, and worship will be extended to the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 12-14. He will be given a name which is not presently known. He will have a mark, and he will have a number. Revelation 13, 17-18. Revelation 14, 9, 15-2, 16-2, and Revelation 20, verse 4. His mark or name or the number of his name will be forced upon men. They will take one or the other of them in the right hand or the forehead, or else they will not be able to buy and sell, and they will be killed. You will be killed if you don't take the mark of the beast. Conversely, if you do... Take the mark of the beast. You will be damned to eternity in hell. It's just that plain and simple. You cannot try to fool the Antichrist. You can't try to say, well, I'll take the beast, but really I'll work in my heart for Jesus. That won't happen. And here, I want to throw this out at you. I was reading this just over the last few days. Scientists are working right now on a microchip that will be implanted in the frontal lobe of human beings' brains. Think of this now. No, this isn't science fiction. No, this is not in the year 4000. This is not some far-fetched thing. This is being worked on today, February the 5th of 2020, as I tape this. To where they can put this microchip inside the frontal lobe of a human brain, under the forehead, basically. Under the forehead. You hear me? And it will modify temper. They're going to market this like we can use this in criminals. We can change their we can alter their moods, we can change their behaviors. Now, this is Mark of the Beast technology for sure. So when the Antichrist gets a hold of this stuff, and it'll be perfected by then, you think you're going to take the Mark, but secretly worship Jesus Christ? No, because the Mark is going to change your personality. The Mark is going to change the way your brain functions, and the way you think, and the way you behave, and you will docilely receive everything and anything the Antichrist tells you. So don't play games with this. Get it right with Jesus Christ. And if, we, if you happen to 
end up, you're, maybe you're not saved right now, and you missed the rapture, but you get saved, and they offer you that mark of the beast, do not take it. Because you will no longer be you. Again, this goes back to this transhumanoid efforts in this technology and science community today. You will no longer be you at that point. You have sold your soul at that point to the devil. So don't take that mark. Don't take that mark. So this beast is a man. The Antichrist will make war on the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome the beast and his followers. Revelation 17, 14, Revelation 19, 19 through 21. So that's basically the first thing that the beast symbolizes. The second thing symbolized by the beast is a supernatural being. He's the beast out of the abyss. And we'll discuss this here just a little bit more. Uh, several things from the Word of God prove that a satanic prince is seen in this symbol. In Revelation 11.7 and 17.8, it is indicated that this beast comes out. This, uh, this supernatural being comes out of the bottomless pit. Now, he's not, he's not the Antichrist. He's, the Antichrist is a human man who will be possessed of Satan. This is a symbol, it's, it's a level buried in the symbol. Remember, the symbol represents three things. First one is the man Antichrist. Second is the supernatural being coming out of the bottomless pit, making war on the two witnesses during the last part of the tribulation, Revelation 11:7, overcoming and killing them. This beast, possessed with demon powers, will be involved in gathering the forces together at Armageddon. Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16. In Revelation 17, 8, two things can be observed. That he was on the earth before John's time, that he is not and that he shall ascend from the bottomless pit. He will be destroyed at the second coming of Christ, and he will go into perdition. Revelation 17, 8. Revelation 19, 19 through 21. Revelation 20, 10. And the third thing symbolized by this beast is an empire. This is the eighth kingdom. It immediately succeeds the seven kingdoms. And there are several things we could look at that would bring that out even further. So now, what the way I, there's several ways we could go with this, and we could just throw out a bunch of scripture references and give you. I think we've done enough of that to show you the past prophetic empires. Uh, you you might want to re-listen to Revelation 13. You, you, you know, all through there, 13, 16, and you'll see some of these nations. I'm going to try to. Uh, minimize some of that today to get through this material and talk about a couple of other things. So let's take a look here for a moment at the beast out of the abyss. The beast out of the abyss. Numerous theories have been addressed as to who this beast is that comes out of the abyss. There are those that feel he's a human spirit. Now he's been confirmed to the abyss and will come out again as he will be the Antichrist. Uh, others believe he represents the rival of a once existing kingdom. Uh, now that kingdom is being revived. I said rival, I meant revival of an ancient kingdom. Uh, certainly more than one kingdom is referred to and a person is involved. The question is whether this person is a human being or a supernatural spirit that was once upon the earth. My answer to that question is, it will be both. It will be both. The, the beast out of the abyss is a spirit. At this time, unless God were to give your eyes permission, you could not see this thing. There are hints and indications, however, that during the Great Tribulation period, even in the first three and a half years, but especially in the last three and a half years, demonic spirits will manifest themselves and be visible to human eyes when it suits their purposes, 
and of course, if God allows it. And there are times that God does allow manifestations of evil. There will be reasons for it. <clears throat> Many times those reasons we do not understand. But nonetheless, in the language, in the Greek, in ancient Hebrew, and other writings as well, it brings it out that this is very possibly going to be the case. The Antichrist and the beast out of the abyss are two separate individuals, both symbolized by a beast. Okay, so under, you have man, Antichrist. You have supernatural spirit, probably one of the ancient spirits that has been battling God since the fall of Lucifer, pre-Adamite. And they will join forces. They're both symbolized by this beast. So, the beast of the abyss is going to wreak Hagbot. You can also read of this in, in Revelation 11 and 7. Uh, the beast in the abyss is not reincarnated. There is no such thing as reincarnation. In the spirit world, entities never die. You can't kill a spirit. And we're going to talk a little more about that when we get to the judgment coming up in some few chapters from now here in the book of Revelation. But a soul and a spirit is eternal. The abyss is not a place for departed spirits. The abyss is a prison of demon spirits. Look at Luke 8.31 and Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 through 21. So, the abyss is not where unsaved people go when they die. Unsaved people, when they die, they go into the fiery compartments of hell. Hell. Okay, that's the name of it. Uh, there's many words that describe it. Uh, some feel that there may be varying degrees. I don't know. Uh, we'll leave that there for now. We will be doing a study on hell in the future. But when the unsaved person, human being, dies, he goes to hell. The abyss, or the abusos, is a prison where God has locked away certain ancient demon spirits. And for now, I'll leave that there. But I want you to understand there is a difference between the two. The spirits of human beings went to paradise or hell before Christ was resurrected. Now, when a Christian dies, he goes to be with the Lord until the first resurrection. Since at his resurrection, Jesus led all righteous souls out of paradise unto the earth and took them to heaven with him. Ephesians 4, 7-11. 7-11. Hebrews 2.14 Philippians 1.21 2 Corinthians 5.8 and Revelation 6 verses 9-11 through 11. So those who teach that the Antichrist will be killed uh, in the middle of the week rise from the dead to be immortal as the incarnation of Satan fail to recognize that the scripture teaches that one of the heads of the beast will be wounded and then healed again. So it's not speaking of the Antichrist himself. A lot of people are preaching, teaching that the Antichrist will be assassinated and brought back to life. If you read the text, just reading it verbatim, face value, that is not what it says. It says that one of the heads, one of the kingdoms, one of the empires will be killed, but it will be brought back and it will be transformed then to serve the Antichrist. Okay? Hallelujah, this is good stuff. So, as we go forward with the rest of this chapter, we also see, <clears throat> before we move on, we also see that the war that took, takes place on the two witnesses is instigated by this beast out of the abyss. Satanic power. Satanic powers have much influence over individuals, over nations, and over kingdoms of the world. Much demonic control of this world exists. 
Many times the powers of darkness oppose the work of God and the move of His Spirit. And I'm just going to give you some scripture references where you can see this opposition. Uh, Isaiah 14, 4 through 21. Isaiah 24, 21 through 23. Isaiah 25, 7. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 17. Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, also verse 28, and verses 31 through 45. Daniel 4, 25 through 37. Daniel 5, 18 through 31. Daniel 7, 1 through 28. Daniel 8, 1 through 26. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Daniel 10, 1 through 12, and verse 13 also. Joel chapter 3. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. John 12, 31. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Ephesians 2 and 2. Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, all of it. Revelation 13, 1 through 18. These are just a few of the significant passages that reveal to us the influence and the activity of supernatural princes under Satan. And that word princes is not human. It is speaking of supernatural demonic beings. Princes under Satan reign over different kingdoms. And in Daniel 10, verses 1 through 11, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel 10, 1 through Daniel 11, 1, princes under Satan are ruling different kingdoms, and we see the scriptural evidence as to why the spirit in the abyss was confined. And in that place in Daniel, his identity is given. So let's look at that for just a moment. Who is this beast in the abyss? When Daniel was to receive a vision of the kingdom from Gabriel, the spirit ruler of the kingdom of Persia hindered him. In other words, you have natural rulers over nations and kingdoms in the world, but and every one of those kingdoms also has demon spirit rulers over them. Okay? It's the war. There's also angels of God assigned to people and to nations. Okay? So for every battle you see on planet Earth, there's probably ten battles that are taking place in the heavenlies. You follow me? And we could go much, much more detail into this, but sometime we will do that. But in the case of, of this king, spirit ruler of Persia, hindering Daniel, Michael, one of the chief angels of God, came and gave assistance to him. Daniel 10, uh, verses 12 through 14. Supernatural princes are referred to in numerous places in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 10, 20 and 21, the angel mentions that the prince of Persia detained him. But he declares that the prince of Grecia will come. So this has reference to the spiritual prince under Satan that controls the kingdom of Grecia. He will come, he will rule these territories, and he will fulfill Scripture. God uses all things to fulfill Scripture. That doesn't make God the author of evil, but when an evil does an evil thing, when an evil being does an evil thing, God uses it in the fulfillment of His prophetic Scripture. God uses all things. God, folks, God is totally sovereign, providential, and in control. It is predicted in this chapter that Persia will fall and that Greece will come. Now what, what's happening here to these supernatural princes in that realm, what is happening there plays itself out and manifests in the natural world. And we do know factually that the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of Persia was defeated by the kingdom of Greece on earth. But that was all played out in the heavenlies prior. The spirit out of the abyss is this prince of Greece. And there's a reason for that. In the visions of Daniel... 
the last one concerns the Grecian Empire. It has four divisions, and the Antichrist comes out of one of them, namely the Syrian division of the ancient Grecian Empire. A number of references in Daniel chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapters 10 through 12 relate to this. Since the Antichrist, who is the head of the eighth kingdom, will come out of Syria, which is the division of Greece in the time of the Grecian Empire. Let's understand that. It is logical that the prince of Grecia is the spirit out of the abyss. There's no reference to the Egyptian, Babylonian, Assyrian, Persian princes in this relationship. And it could not be the prince of Rome since Rome was in existence at the time of John. So it follows that he will be the prince of Greece. So remember now, at the very beginning, we, 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 were, we are showing you that there are different levels to the meaning of this vision of the woman riding the beast. And it shows the progression of how the world shifts from New Age worship of Satan and, and astrology and worship of the moon and worship of rocks and worship of the tarot card readings and all of these things. And those things will be magically empowered by demon spirits so that they, there will actually be fake miracles. There are real miracles that come from God and come from the Holy Spirit, amen. There are real miracles, but Satan will also do false miracles. So this woman who rides the beast, it shows the progression of how the Antichrist will desire all of that worship. He will be demon-possessed. The Antichrist will be occultic. The Antichrist will have satanic gifts. And he'll put out of business the one world government with its false religion. And he will devise a religion of no religion of his own. He will be worshipped. We saw that progression. We saw that this beast, the seven mountains, the ten heads, the ten horns, we saw that this beast represented the Antichrist. That's one level of its meaning. <coughs> Another level of its meaning, it represents this supernatural spirit prince. And the third level of it, it represents an empire, the eighth kingdom. So this is all tying together, see? Let's go on down a little bit more. The prince of Grecia will empower the Antichrist. He will be virtually indestructible to natural people. Scripture states that the body of the beast is like a leopard. In the book of Daniel, the leopard symbolizes the Grecian kingdom, proving that this is the kingdom of the Antichrist. The eighth and last kingdom is Grecian, and it is of the Syrian division. And I'm going to give you some references, but before I do that, I'm going to say this. Remember how we told you as we looked at those passages in the book of Daniel while we were studying, I think it was Revelation 13, that when Alexander the great, the ruler of the Grecian Empire, died, his kingdom was divided into four of his generals, each taking a section. The kingdom of Greece, as in all kingdoms of biblical prophecy, the kingdom of Greece ruled more nations than just Greece. Greece was part of it. Italy was part of it. Uh, Iran was part of it, Iraq was part of it, Syria was part of it. And so when we look at ancient Syrian division of the... If you look at the Syrian division in ancient textbooks of the Grecian Empire, you will see and discover the landmass that it controlled in the part of the world of modern-day Syria, but so much more parts of Turkey, you know, Togarma, uh, parts of Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, on and on we could go. So understand that as we look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 19, 9 through 14, 
And also verses 20 through 25, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel 11, 21 through 12, 7, and Revelation 13. There are two prophecies of the Grecian Empire in Joel 3, 6 and Zechariah 9, 13 concerning the last days under the Antichrist. And it involves the deliverance of Israel from other nations at the return of Christ. Glory to God. All of these passages exact the existence of Greece as being under the Antichrist. So we conclude that the prince of Grecia is the demonic spirit that will return from the abyss. He's been put there in prison. He prompted Alexander the Great. He manipulated Alexander the Great during his lifetime. And when Alexander died and the kingdom was split into four at some point in time, it doesn't tell us exactly when, but God chained him in that prison. He will be loosed in order to orchestrate these end time events that must needs take place so that Jesus will return. And that's what we're looking at right here. The seven heads refer to uh, seven heads being seven mountains. And rather than giving you all of the scripture reference for that at this time, I'm just going to uh, quickly go through this. Um, the best interpretation I've studied myself is to see the five fallen kings or kingdoms as Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Five. The sixth kingdom, the one that is, is the Rome of John's day. The last or the seventh, the other that is not and is yet to come, is the one that comes from the old revised, I didn't say revived, revised Roman Empire and forms the ten kingdoms of the last days. And the Antichrist himself is the eighth and final empire. Okay, um, we can talk a little more as we go along um, through our, the course of our studies in the future about some of the more specific details of these empires. One interesting thing is that when we look, as the eighth kingdom is being formed by the Antichrist, Revelation 17, 1 through 3, verse 7 also, verses 12 through 17 as well, the ten horns of the dragons do not have crowns, but those of the beast do. And this reveals that the devil gives the power over to the ten kings of revised Rome, and the devil gives that to the Antichrist who will rule these kingdoms for the last three and one half years of this age. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The beast is here referred to as the eighth kingdom. Again, going back to our three levels. The beast is the Antichrist. The beast is a supernatural prince. And the beast is this last kingdom, the eighth, which is ruled and dominated by the Antichrist. The seven heads on the beast represent seven kingdoms and all have a special relationship to Israel. Egypt. The first to oppress Israel. And I could, I could take you through that history. The second is Assyria. And they had many relationship to Israel. You can read 2 Kings chapters 15 through chapter 18. The third kingdom is Babylon. This is represented in this vision as mountains. Babylon was involved at various times against Israel and Judah. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 24 through 30. 2 Chronicles 33, 11. Babylon captured Judah and held her captive for 70 years. Jeremiah 25, verses 9 through 14. After which she was punished. When Christ comes again, Babylon will be under the Antichrist. Medo-Persia is the fourth mountain kingdom, and they helped to overthrow Assyria. And there's several symbols for this in the book of Daniel. The fifth kingdom to oppress Israel during the time of the Gentiles, and the third one recorded in the book of Daniel was Greece. And there are many references to this. Uh, in an Old Testament apocryphal books 
named Maccabees, first and second. It's basically the story of the Grecian oppression of the children of Israel. Uh, so this kingdom in Daniel 7-6 is symbolized as a leopard with four heads, which indicate the four generals that it breaks off into. So look in Daniel 7, when you see a leopard with four heads, you're seeing the Grecian Empire divided upon Alexander the Great's death to four of his top generals. That, in one verse, backs up all that history. You see how accurate Bible prophecy is? We don't need history to prove prophecy, but prophecy absolutely proves history. The sixth kingdom to oppress Israel is the fourth one mentioned in Daniel, and it's uh, symbolized by, on the beast by the head that was at the time of John, and it was the Roman Empire. It follows Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece as the one that oppresses Israel. And the seventh mountain kingdom to stand against Israel is the revised Roman Empire, and that is still in the future. It's the one world government to come. The Antichrist will emerge out of one of those nations or geographical locations. He will overthrow it, conquer it, take it, so this great whore, the mystery Babylon, will try during this time to stop every religious activity that is not her own and will murder the followers of Jesus. So we see here that Israel will be involved in the persecution by the great whore. And this persecution will be continued by the Antichrist when he gets full power over the ten kings. Matthew 24, 4-13, Mark 13, 4-13, Revelation 6, 9-11, and Revelation 17, verses 3-6. through 6. The persecution of the Christians will persist, and the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation will break his covenant with Israel, and then he tries to eliminate them. So, let's stop there, and briefly just say this. The Antichrist comes to power in the beginning of the tribulation. Somehow, it's probably connected to the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, which literally devastates uh, an Arab coalition, literally devastates them. And Russia will be involved in this. And God on the mountains of Israel defeats five-sixths of the armies that come against Israel in the battle of Gog and Magog, or Ezekiel 38 and 39. At the same time that that's going on, reeling from the sheer horror of World War III, which is what that scenario will be, the nations of the world will begin to form progressive liberal parties who are changing the face of the earth they're redefining human sexuality. They're redefining marriage. They're redefining values and all of this. Very liberal, very progressive. They come to power. The Antichrist emerges out of this sea of people, this mass of humanity during this crisis time, World War III, and, and he finds a way to broker power peace between Israel and her Arab neighbors. He comes on a platform of peace at the beginning of the tribulation, and the Bible says that all the world will wonder after the beast. He will be intellectually brilliant. He will be domineering in his personality. And he will literally put forth solutions for the entire world, economic solutions political solutions, religious solutions, all the while the true believers in Jesus Christ will be hated, persecuted, killed, murdered, martyred. Because you remember, this beast from the very beginning is empowered by Satan. So we're trying to paint this picture, showing you then in the middle of the week, 
the Antichrist turns on Israel. Israel believed him. Israel trusted him. But he turns on them and he determines to exterminate them. It's Hitler's final solution on steroids as he literally tries. He's, he's wiped out major portion of the Christ followers and now he's trying to wipe out Israel. And when I say Christ followers, this is after the rapture. I believe Ezekiel 38 and 39 war will take place. Part of it will start before the rapture. And I think that somewhere in that World War III scenario is when the rapture will take place. And then there will be a time gap between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. Sometimes people think the rapture takes place and five minutes later the tribulation starts. The Bible seems to indicate that there could be a gap of time as nations of the world are working on how to find this peace and this one world government has taken over and it could even be in that time gap but then the tribulation starts here comes Antichrist he brokers peace when he signs that peace covenant with Israel that's when the tribulation starts now you have seven years in the middle of that three and a half years in Antichrist turns on Israel the Christ followers that would be on earth at that time are people who have gotten saved after the rapture. You see, everybody's not going to just forget at that point. And remember, Mark of the Beast is instigated three and a half years into the tribulation. That's when things start happening to people's brains. Okay? But before then, everybody's not going to forget what Grandma told them about Jesus. Everybody's not going to forget what they heard their preacher preach. Everybody's not. They might have been living lukewarm, sin-filled lives uh, during that time before the rapture, but I believe a whole lot of people are going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting the day of the rapture and in the weeks and months preceding it. I mean, uh, following it. So there's going to be Christ followers on the earth. Many of them will have to pay with their lives. But it's in that last three and a half years where we see the Antichrist by technology, by brain implants, by also demon spirits that are assaulting the population of planet Earth, also by the judgments of God that are falling from the heavens, we will start seeing people absolutely changed as to their core personalities during the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. I could go on and on there. We could talk about Russia. We could talk about Germany for now. We're going to leave off those conquests of those countries. During this time, the Antichrist will be manipulating the nations of the world. Manipulating Russia. Manipulating China, the kings of the East. Manipulating Japan who today is in such a passive state, one would wonder could they even defend themselves a little bit against an invasion. He will manipulate North Korea. He will manipulate the United States of America and Canada and Mexico in what could be one of the ten geographical locations could be called North America and the three conglomerates. Canada, U.S., and Mexico. All of this through demonic manipulation will bring the world to one place. These forces will come together for an invasion of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. And that's what we're going to talk about in just some few weeks hence. Uh, we will be getting to the Battle of Armageddon. But right now, <clears throat> we have concluded our study in Revelation chapter 17, which was talking about the first of two segments on Babylon, Mystery Babylon, Ecclesiastical Babylon, Religious Babylon, whatever you want to call it. And we've already kind of recapped the whole thing just here in this session. So go back and listen to this again. 
I believe the Lord will help to connect some dots for us uh, as we look at the scenarios that are possible that we didn't bring up here today. We only brought up a few things. There are many, many. I mean, the ramifications of this are literally endless in ways things could happen. But it will always bring about God's prophesied result. So there's, there may be many steps in getting to a place, but the destination is certain. God has said it in the Word of God, and it will certainly come to pass. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Now next week we're going to begin to start to look at the doom of literal Babylon, the city, in Revelation 18. And I, I do not know how long, I don't know how far we're going to get in Revelation 18. I'd like to get it all done in one setting, but then we get into the blessed 19th chapter, which will be the return of Christ. What a powerful time we're living in, friends. So until the next time uh, that you and I meet together here for our Bible class on the book of Revelation, and I'm sorry about some of the preceding programs. Uh, I have been dealing so far in 2020 with some up and down blood sugar issues, and it's some of the times I've been preaching, and it's very difficult to keep my mind communicating in a in a way that makes sense. If you know, if you understand what I'm saying, so some of the chapters they they may be just a little differently than I would normally have been able to do it, but we've got it. We got through it. I believe we brought out the main meanings of you know chapters. Uh, Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and even the first, even last week, the first part of this message was somewhat of a challenge for me. But praise God, we're getting things under control. The Lord is healing us. The Lord is making us well. And we receive it today in the name of Jesus. We receive that healing and we receive that wholeness in Jesus' name today. And so until you and I can come together, and gather around the book of Revelation for our next lesson. This is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, Go with God, and He will go with you. Bless you.